Courtney, how you doing? Hey, I am doing great. We just spent some time as a family out working on the property. We've had a bunch of blackberry bushes growing entirely too close to the house. So we knocked down a bunch of those bushes and like a tree that was bugging us that was too close to the house. And we just took a lot of stuff out and threw it in a big old burn pile. And it feels really, really good to conquer some ground back from nature. So yeah, now I have showered and I'm feeling refreshed and accomplished and ready to talk to you. So how are you? That's awesome. I am having an interesting sort of mixture of feelings this week. I am transitioning out of my pastoral work, and that is opening my schedule and life up for me to pursue some things that I am really excited about. I have wanted to do coaching, especially with kind of associate leaders for a long time. I've wanted to put some time into a project that my wife and I are doing, and I'm excited about all those things. But it was interesting. I got a text from my wife sending me a lead that I could follow up on today. And as I sat there looking at that lead that I could follow up on, it made me realize I am experiencing a lot of anxiety and fear of failure as I enter into these new projects. And that's a fascinating place to be. I haven't even really started yet, and I'm already afraid of failing. That Uh, says so much. Yes, but I think it's common to the human experience, not just you, or at least I would be similarly positioned. I know I would fear that as well. There's just so much unknown and like, what should I be doing next? And how? what's the best way to do this? Man, I can imagine that's just so stressful. It is. It's fascinating because I know that I am competent and capable. And the only thing that is going to get in my way is me. And there is nothing riding on this, so there's no pressure. I just get to give it an honest swing and take a shot and see what happens. And I want that to be really fun. And yet, there's this nagging voice in the back of my head that says, you're going to fail. And my temptation is to avoid the tasks that could help me succeed. And if I do, then of course, I'm certainly going to fail. So... Like I said, just an interesting place to be in, to be watching the way my brain handles all of this and to be choosing to try to learn to navigate it. Wow. You know, I don't want to be trite about this because that's a lot to work through and it's not as simple as what I'm about to say, but what a really good time to be in the Psalms and to be thinking about, oh, I can take every emotion, every life experience I have and just take it right before God. I mean, even some of these Psalms, they don't come out in a quote-unquote Christian-y way, right? They come out in some pretty intense ways. And so it's permission to feel before God in prayer. And that's a really freeing thing. It is. It's also, honestly, and this is not just something I said to set us up for today, but it is an interesting moment to have the conversation that you texted me and said you wanted to talk about, because I think that also relates significantly to my kind of immediate life experience. Yeah. So I called, this is the day we're going to talk about consolation and desolation. And 
these are terms that my spiritual director introduced me to. I'm not sure if I even mentioned it on the podcast. I may have, but these were brand new terms for me. And I guess they're St. Ignatius uh, was the one to coin these terms and to use them profitably. So he used them and to, to help me reflect on the experience that I was having in that moment. And it was really helpful language long before mm-hmm. I even knew the full implication of what those words meant and how St. Ignatius applied them to a spiritual journey. So I have since asked, hey, would you like to explore this with me? You and I have spent the last couple of weeks kind of exploring this idea. And now that we've both kind of been in our separate corners, so to speak, kind of pondering this, I would really love to just find out what we found out. Yeah, I think this is fascinating. I am very grateful for this as a set of terms that allows us to sort of diagnose our own spiritual condition And that gives us an opportunity to know what actions to take or not to take. And that sort of information is very helpful because at different seasons of the spiritual life, what you need to do to move forward is a little bit different. And Mm -hmm. first of all, I found this to be a very helpful grid to, to lay over my own spiritual experience. And as I've been digging into this, I found it to be very helpful, but Before even digging into that, I'm curious if you're willing, tell me a little bit more about the situation that was going on that led your spiritual director to introduce you to these terms, because I suspect that will play into our conversation and a lot of folks may relate to whatever kind of condition it may have been. I have no idea what it was. (laughs) Yeah. So... I'm going to try to make a distinction that I think is important, but shouldn't be overdone. And that is that when we talk about consolation and desolation, these are spiritual states. These are, in that moment, how are we feeling in our connection with God? God is always there, but how close do we feel toward God in that moment? So this is not, did I get enough sleep last night? This is not, do I, you know... Am I sad about running out of ice cream? There are lots of different uh, things about our day-to-day human existence that might buoy us up or make us sad. But the spiritual distinction is the one I want to make about consolation and desolation. Now, with that said, I don't think it should be overdone because I think we are integrated human beings that... You know, our human life affects our spiritual life and vice versa. And so it's all interconnected. So I think the distinction is helpful so long as we keep it in balance. Uh, Absolutely. I really actually appreciated in several different places that I was reading about this. They talked about the fact that we all need a variety of types of consolation. And some of those consolations lead to spiritual consolation, and both are important and valid. Like you said, sometimes I just need more sleep, and that is in itself consoling. Sometimes there is a grace that is given to me, either through something as natural as sleep, or through reading the Bible, or through something else that is a spiritual consolation, a reaction or experience, but it is a reaction or experience in relationship to God himself, 
And that's the mm-hmm. difference. And we'll probably use the short language of consolation and desolation, but we really mean spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation as we talk through these things. And you're absolutely right to make that distinction. Yeah. And I make it because in order to tell my story properly, yes, there were things that were happening in my day-to-day life that were impacting me and probably contributing to being in spiritual desolation, but they are not the definition of spiritual desolation. So yeah, it was toward the end of seminary, I had you know, long since seen the finish line coming, but there was still more to be done. I had papers to write. I had books to read. I had things to do, plus family pressures and all of those things. And it was just like, I know that I have this season of rest coming and I really want to get there, but I'm not there right now. And instead, I am I'm here, bogged down in a lot of different tasks. And those tasks and the pressure of them was just kind of weighing on me. And during that time, I wasn't spending a lot of time connecting with God. I wasn't very prayerful. It's not like I was completely distant from God or angry with God or anything like that. I just wasn't very disciplined toward my relationship with God. And all of that just kind of left me in this state of feeling meh. I don't know. There's probably a word that actually could be spelled that I could put in there, but I don't know what that word is. I was just spiritually- I believe you spell meh, M-E-H. I know. But that's- Yeah, it's true. Is that in a dictionary? I have never even looked it up. How nerdy would that be to look up the word meh? But So I should or should not admit that I started looking it up as soon as you said that. <laughs> uh, you know what? Don't admit that. Okay. I, I will not tell you the results then. <laughs> Go on with your story, please. Um, yeah. So I was telling my spiritual director, he's like, well, so tell me, how are you? You know, where, where are you at? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not feeling much of anything. I just kind of feel blah. I don't feel necessarily very connected with God. I'm not angry with him. I don't know. I got a lot of life pressures and stressors, and I just kind of, I feel meh. And that's when he introduced me to this language of consolation and desolation. And he did so in such a way that it was kind of like, yeah, of course you do. That's just how like life in the spiritual world goes. Sometimes you're in desolation. Sometimes you're in consolation. Let's not panic. That's just That's just how it is. And... It was so freeing. In fact, it was the catalyst for moving me from desolation to consolation in short order. Not that it always works out that way, but it's just, it was so encouraging to me to know that I was very, very, very normal in that moment and could be otherwise and would be otherwise at some other point. And that that is much more, hmm, I don't want to overstate this because I do think we have some responsibility in the matter. But in some respects, that's God's business. He's going to take care of it. He meets us there. He takes us to consolation. Consolation is a gift from him, not something we can manufacture. And so, okay, you're in desolation. That just is what it is. So that was my experience. And how does that match up to with what you have heard or you've personally experienced? You know, if I start off with what I've heard, 
I have to give two fairly significant shout outs to people who know a lot more about this than I do. One is an Ignatian expert, Father Timothy Gallagher, this amazing Catholic priest who has recorded a number of things for the Hallow app and who has recorded a number of lecture series, some of which were available to download through my local library, and I listened to a bunch of that stuff. And then the other is a podcast episode by uh, a podcast called Quo Vadis. I don't know a, a lot about them, but as I was digging through Father Gallagher's stuff, I realized I needed to take a step back and I needed a more basic introduction. And their podcast episode featuring Father Adam Bradley talking through spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation was just phenomenal. It hit all the questions that I had. It helped me understand the topics and terms better. And I am going to lean very heavily on some of the things that Father Bradley said. So what I understood, and I thought this was, again, super, super helpful, is that consolation and desolation one of those, or both of those, referred to them as reactions of the Spirit. So it's just the way I respond to stuff. And I respond mm. either by going up and feeling connected, or I respond by sort of going down and feeling disconnected. And this is true on, like you said, a physical and emotional level. I can feel consolation in my marriage. I can feel consolation in my work life. I can feel consolation because I'm watching a wonderful movie. I can feel desolation because I'm watching a movie. I can feel <laughs> desolation because of an argument I got in with my wife. I can feel desolation because of my relationship with God. And sometimes there are causes for these things, and sometimes there aren't. And while there are some natural steps we can take, those steps are not designed to change where we're at on the consolation-desolation scale. Where we're at on the consolation-desolation scale is secondary, because it's an experience of reality, not the reality itself. Mm, the well reality said. is, I am connected with God. Just like the reality is, I am connected with my wife. Yeah. Therefore, I have choices to make, and those choices include my overall emotional state, my reaction to reality, or my experience of reality, but they aren't entirely steered or defined by that. That's kind of what I picked up out of this. Yeah. It's kind of like... Okay, so I'm going to use a baseball analogy because it's middle of baseball season and and I love watching baseball. And my Seattle Mariners have not been performing well at all. And they've I mean they're fine. They're like right around, you know, 50-50, like 500. And that's fine, but we had much higher expectations of them this year. And at one point the general manager came out and was asked some very direct questions about how his team was performing. And he said, look, we've said from day one, we do not hold them accountable to outcomes. We hold them accountable to the process. And right now they're not following the process and they're accountable to that. 
And that was so awesome. Like, I don't care if you strike out every time you go up there. Did you follow the process? And if you did, mm. great. I don't care about the outcome. The difference between outcome and process is exactly what I think you're talking about. We have a responsibility to the process. We do not have a responsibility to the outcome. Yeah, that's exactly it. As a matter of fact, this kind of dovetails into one of my favorite things that I learned about in, in this whole exploration. Uh, so St. Ignatius of Loyola, who wrote The Spiritual Exercises, which is another amazing thing that we could talk about at some point, he wrote these sort of 14 rules for 15, discernment. Wasn't it? I have no idea. I thought it was 14, but who You knows? might be right. He wrote some rules for what he calls the discernment of spirits. And what he means by that, which is very different from what I as a 21st century Pentecostal would have meant, is discerning where in this ebb and flow of consolation and desolation you are, and therefore knowing how to act accordingly. And one of the things, very much like your Seattle Mariners example, that he says, rule number five, if you're in desolation, don't change anything. Yes. That's the rule. I think that's brilliant. There are so many times, and again, guys from Quo Vadis, if you are listening, thank you for doing a great job on your podcast. I appreciate you a lot. But one of the examples that they used is when you're in spiritual desolation and you feel disconnected from God, it's very tempting if you've set yourself to, say, spend 30 minutes with God every morning, it's very tempting to short it two minutes, three minutes. It doesn't feel like a big deal. You're not getting anything out of it anyway. And what he said was, when you're in desolation, don't change things. Because you probably set the plan when you were in consolation, and therefore it is a good plan for being in consolation. And it will get you back there eventually. But the enemy's goal in desolation is to take your eyes off of God and get them onto the desolation itself. Mm. You know, I would add one qualification to that statement, because I absolutely agree. Don't change anything when you're in desolation. But I would say this. If you're in desolation because you aren't doing anything, change that. You do need to you do need to take some action. You are accountable to the process, and if you don't have a process and you're in desolation, start a process. Yeah, absolutely. And that might I I suppose that would I was going to say that doesn't count as desolation, but it certainly does. And you're absolutely right. I hadn't even thought about that. A lot of folks are in spiritual desolation because they're doing nothing. And mm -hmm. if you are far from God and you feel far from God, that is a sign to you and an invitation, right? This is another thing that they said in there. I have a ton of notes from this podcast because I literally stopped running at one point when I was listening to this to take verbal notes on some things that they said because it was so good. Because one of the questions they asked that I had not really thought of their answer to was, why would God allow spiritual desolation? And the answer they give is that the only way we can experience a full desire for God is to experience a privation of our experience without a privation of the reality, right? Like that's an incredibly safe place to be 
God is right there, but we're not feeling it. And so we get to experience privation of God without the dangers of God actually being absent. And therefore, we are given the privilege of getting to choose God in that moment. And again, not trying to get out of spiritual desolation, that's kind of irrelevant. It's just an opportunity to look at my reality. And if I'm experiencing spiritual desolation, one of the things that that screams out to me, and it, it said this to me in your, when you were telling your anecdotes, you were dissatisfied with that. You mm. wanted something else. Yeah. And so it is a revelation of your heart's deepest desires, which are ultimately for God. And I yes. think it's amazing to see that. I think so too. And I want to, I actually don't like their answer. So I'm going to take a different track. Go for it. That's perfect. I think their answer implies that somehow or another, pre fall, Adam and Eve's desire for God was somehow impacted by the fact that they'd never been away from God. And well, hold on, pause the story for a second. There are times when they are away from God pre-fall, right? If we read the story, there's moments where God comes into the garden and is like, Adam, Eve, where are you? There are moments where they're without God and their relationship has sort of natural ebbs and flows of like any relationship. The fact that God is always, you know, my wife is always available to me. I, in theory, could be on the phone with her 24-7, but I'm not. It seems like God was not manifestly present at all times in the story. It's not like he was standing there right next to them during the fruit-eating moment, right? Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I'll have to sit on that a little bit longer. It's something doesn't, it still doesn't quite sit right with me. Um, sure. But well, and I'm I will quibbling say, with the place you're starting from. Yeah, tell us your actual concern, because there's probably something very valid there, even if I'm quibbling with your interpretation of Genesis. Well, no, I'm, I actually agree with their overall application because we don't live in a pre-fall world. We live in a fallen world. And so my answer to the question, why does God allow this? Well, I think God had a much more perfect plan. And yet we live in a sinful world and, you know, we're not going to be in perfect harmony with God at all times as a result. That's just the way it is. So what do we do now that we're in a fallen world and we acknowledge the, the difficulties that that presents? How do we live inside of that? And the way we live inside of that is we keep showing up. We remain faithful to what we're supposed to do. We, we keep showing up even when it doesn't feel like it's doing anything. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And this brings up one of the pieces that they referenced that I had never heard, and that is what I have found out since is called the pirate prayer. Do you remember? I know you listened to this podcast episode as well. Do you know what I'm talking about? I did listen to that podcast, but I feel like I have never heard the words pirate prayer before. So you're going to have to fill me in. Okay. So they didn't call it this in the podcast episode. But that makes me feel it is better. A type, it is a format of prayer that is captured in the acronym ARRR. R. 
<laughs> okay, I see the uh, mental leap that Josh from Missouri made in. So yes, please so, go on. For real though, I didn't make that up. That is literally like I have found it referred to that on the internet in a couple of different places. Oh, that's but, so cool. Isn't that awesome? Because it makes it wildly more memorable. It's the pirate prayer. It also, I think, is a great way to engage with God from where you're at. And it wraps into some of the things we've talked to with the Psalms, and it wraps into this idea of consolation and desolation. And it's very different from my Protestant four-letter prayer format, right? I was taught uh, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? Here's the way you pray. 100%. God is great. I am not. Therefore, thank you, and here's what I need. And Mm -hmm. that adds a lot to prayer, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I use all four of those forms of prayer all the time, and that's delightful. This is a far more relational version of that. So the pirate prayer starts with acknowledge, here's where I'm at, God. That's the starting point of prayer for this form of prayer. So if you're in consolation, you tell God that. If you're in desolation, you tell God that. If you're angry or happy or joyful or scared or confused or whatever, you just tell God that. And then you relate to him. The second word is relate, A-R. You relate to him from that place. And then you receive from him from that place. And that's probably, I'm guessing, where a lot of the Bible reading would be. But I don't know that for a fact. And then after being very vulnerable with God and allowing God to speak to you, then the final R is respond. I think that's a really powerful tool for recognizing where I'm at in the ebb and flow of my spiritual life and being able to bring the whole of it to God one 24-hour slice at a time. Yeah. Well, goodness. I mean, thank you for calling it the pirate prayer. I think that's going to help me remember, acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. But as you're talking about that, you know, we opened this up this episode with you saying, hey, actually praying my way through my discomfort in my, you know, career transition uh, relates to this topic. And I can see why that would be now to mm-hmm. just acknowledge before God, this is where I'm at. And to relate to him from that space is awesome. But it also helps me understand how just giving me those words, when my spiritual director gave me those words, just knowing that and to be able to relate to God from that place moved me on a very fast path from desolation to consolation. It was wildly encouraging to acknowledge to God, oh, I'm in spiritual desolation. Okay. And I could relate to him from that place. I could receive his promise of being in a better place soon and receive his comfort to me about I am still welcome. I am still known and loved and cared for, even in desolation. And I could respond to that. I would not have had language to tell you that's what happened, but that, you know, giving me this pirate prayer helped me even understand my own experience as to why that was so encouraging. Absolutely. Because there are so many times I think 
there are two reasons, and excuse the failure of language here, but it, it's what it feels like in the moment. There are two reasons God fails to get me out of the doldrums or the spiritual desolation moments of my life. And, and there are others as well. God fails to get me out of spiritual desolation if I'm not eating well or not getting enough fellowship with my friends or I'm only getting five hours of sleep a night or whatever. God cannot do anything to get me out of that situation. I just have to get me out of that situation. But the other two that I think really strike me are, like I said, number one, I get fixated on the desolation itself which really is a very sneaky way of getting me to focus on my spiritual life rather than to focus on God. And mm. my spiritual life is not the thing that's going to save me. God is going to save me. I love these words. Both Father Gallagher and the folks over at Quo Vadis used words like distraction and fixation and diversion to describe what happens in the midst of desolation. Desolation is when our fixation, our focus, our attention is being drawn off of God. And at least for me, and it sounds like in your experience as well, when my attention is drawn back to God, I am that much closer to moving in the right direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And it reminds me of one of the phrases that I really appreciated from that podcast. And it actually, uh, so I'll give you the phrase and then I'll talk about it. Um, the, the phrase was, the enemy hides behind the I, as in I, I myself, me, myself, and I. And what they were trying to describe there is this experience of when you're in desolation and you look around, what can I do? And you feel helpless in the face of it. And you, oh, I can't, I'm, I don't measure up. I can't pray for 30 minutes. I can't read my Bible every day. I can't get to church or I can't measure up to so-and-so or whatever it is, this I, 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 and the enemy hides behind that and wants to drive you toward your own sense of inadequacy and your own sense of inability to fix this rather than, as you were saying, Keep your focus on God alone. My salvation was never my responsibility anyway. Let me just faithfully show up with God and let him take it from there. That's my responsibility. And I just need to keep my attention on him. And I can do that. And so I really liked this idea of the enemy hiding behind the eye. And it's the yeah. way that we often conceive of Peter's experience when he walked on water, right? His eyes were on Jesus, all was great. Then he looked around at his situation and panicked and started to sink. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, of course he couldn't walk on water. That's like, duh. But with his eyes fixed on Jesus, that just changed everything. And so if he focused on what he can't do, well, that changes your whole reality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the, the powerful thing for me of the pirate prayer and the consolation desolation grid is that I am free to keep my eyes on Jesus while acknowledging my own limitations, right? I am a kind of person who cannot walk on water, 
And I accept that as a reality while still looking at you because I don't need to check whether or not I can walk on water or not because you can. Mm. I am free to be an angry, hurting, confused, frustrated, sinful, lost, whatever person. I'm also free to be a joyful, happy, fulfilled, deeply excited, rejoicing kind of person. And that's great too. Wherever I'm at, I acknowledge that. And from that place, I set my eyes on Jesus. Yes. And it's, it reminds me of the phrase that we have said many times on this podcast. Don't pray from where you think you ought to be. Pray from where you are. Yes. It's so helpful. Yeah, that's it exactly. Hmm. Well, thanks for diving into this. I, I know there's so much more to uncover. St. Ignatius put together all of his rules around this and did a great job of explaining this further. So if anybody wants to dive in, uh, the resources that Josh from Missouri gave, they're going to be in our show notes, and uh, you can you can jump in and learn about this on your own. But at the end of the day, what we really hope everybody takes away from this is I can pray from where I am, and that is okay. We look forward to connecting with you on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, and now on Threads, the brand new social media app that's out there. So uh, join us on social media, engage the conversation, tell us your experiences with consolation and desolation, or a new way that you hope to engage with God after learning about these terms, uh, presuming that you learned about them and didn't know about them your whole life. And, you know, that's fine. You could be better. Presumably, if anybody's in that category, they are one of our Catholic friends who this is their day-to-day language. And if so, please let us know what you know that we don't know, because we would be super grateful. This has been such a rich topic, and I feel like we barely scratched the surface. And pointing us to good resources, pointing us to uh, whether it's a YouTube video or a lecture or author or whatever, there's so much more here to learn, and I'm, I'm excited to go deeper. Yes, that would be fantastic. Yes, I would... Totally take those resources and we'll make them available to our audience if they come along. So we hope everybody is joining along with our Summer in the Psalm series. We are just enjoying spending the entire summer immersed in the Psalms. And so I would love to hear from you, Josh from Missouri. What have you been thinking about in your journey through the Psalms? All right. Well, this is a little bit ahead, I think. I am inadvertently a little ahead. And this is the last verse of Psalm 104. And you know how on social media you see those U version pictures with the Psalm verses on them, and it's like a sunset or a mountain picture, and it has the verse on it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want you to imagine this verse on one of those. Let the sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a little different. Huh. I really wish that was at the beginning of the psalm, or like maybe in the middle. That is the last verse of Psalm 104. That's where things end. And as with much of good poetry— it sort of rattles my world to hear those things. 
And it is a juxtaposition of thoughts that just makes me uncomfortable. And mm. I think that's one of the main values of poetry. Poetry should be able to get in our hearts deep enough to be disquieting. And if it's doing that, rather than giving us easy, simple, perhaps even simplistic answers, I think it's doing its job. And this was one of those spots that really just got under my skin and I thought, ooh. And if it weren't for the whole deconstructionist crowd and the ways in which I feel like this verse might be triggering to certain people who are wrestling with certain elements of the faith, I was going to post this as a Bible verse stick-up picture, but I didn't feel like that would necessarily be helpful to everybody. So I did not. Yeah, but sure. I do appreciate how good poetry makes you uncomfortable at times. Yeah. It reminds me of Tim Hawkins, the Christian comedian who I just think is hilarious. He did a whole song about Samson and Delilah. And in the middle of like his song telling the story of Samson and Delilah, he paused and just looked at his audience and goes, This is a Bible story, boys and girls. Just to like <laughs> yes. just to underscore, like, hang on, like we think about the Bible sometimes in just these nice, nice cutesy language, kind of like you're describing with those pictures. And uh, no, there's some things that make us uncomfortable in here, and we should probably acknowledge that. Yep, and, and they challenge us, and we need to be challenged, and that's great. But uh, what about you? What have you been thinking about? Yeah, so you said you found yourself a little bit ahead. Let me just describe where I'm at. I think I mentioned many weeks ago that I got behind in my reading, and I got behind for a variety of reasons. I was sick. I had a lot to do that week because I was preaching and I was trying to get that my sermon put together. And anyway, I, I fell behind and it has taken me a long time to catch up all these weeks, you know, cause I'll, I'll get a little bit further ahead and then I'll miss a day. And then I'm like a little bit, I'm catching up a little bit more. And then I, you know, so it just has been a long, slow crawl to get back. And it made me realize that falling behind is a lot easier than catching up. So I fell behind. I've been working very slowly. I also didn't want to just sit down and read five Psalms all at once because I wanted to do each Psalm justice. So just slowly working my way back. And now I am actually ahead. But it's funny because part of the reason why you referenced a Psalm that is a little bit ahead of where our listeners are at is because we're keeping up with the reading plan, but our recording schedule is a little bit behind. And so we missed a week of recording, and so that made our Psalms reading and the recording of the episodes not line up quite right. That's just normal life. And so if people are out there like kind of catching up, kind of not, feeling discouraged, you know, kind of like our consolation and desolation, it's okay. Just keep showing up. Uh, mm, you will get there. Good. And even if you don't, God's word is still worth showing up for. So it is okay. Yeah, that's so good. So true. And it's like I said before, it's one of the things I love about the Psalms is that you can start in the middle. It's okay. We officially give you permission to start on this week's Psalms 
that we post on Sunday uh, or that we posted on Sunday on social media if you have gotten behind. Just start where you're at. It's okay. And if you don't do social media, every single week of this Summer in the Psalm series, our reading schedule is in the show notes. You can just click the link, download it. I actually download it and have it on my phone, and it's in the same folder as all my Bible apps. And so I can pull up, oh, where, where am I supposed to be? And I highlight the Psalms that I've read on that spreadsheet, or I guess I have a spreadsheet. You've put out a PDF, so that doesn't quite work. But at any rate, I keep it right next to my Bible app, and it's really really handy. That's perfect. Well, are you ready for today's Witch Josh question? Lay it on me. All right. Today it's about the podcast itself because today's question is, listeners, please imagine a drum roll happening right now. Thank you. <laughs> Which Josh? You use your steering wheel. <laughs> yes, I would like to ask all of you to drum roll for me, please. Which Josh designed the show's logo? Ooh, that one is me, Josh from Oregon. I and maybe maybe everybody's going to like fully agree with me after I say this. Like I am not an artsy person. Um and so <laughs> Uh, but I was really proud of this uh, show logo. Uh, we had looked at a lot of different logos long before we even started the podcast. And you showed me about like five or six that you really liked. And you're like, I'm I'm going for something in this area. And originally, I think you were going to sit down and design a logo. And I'm like, wait a minute, I, I can play with some ideas here. And I put together the logo that we have uh, and sent it to you. And you were like, Okay, I like I like it. I think I think mostly. Let me let me see if I can make it better. And you took a couple of weeks and you came back and you were like, "Nope, we're just going to use what you made." And so I was I was pleased with that. I'm like, "All right. I made something and it's out there." Now, I don't do any of the other artwork and all of the great episode art that goes out on show, social media, that is all Josh from Missouri and I want to say you do a phenomenal job. Thank you very much. But that is next week's, so stop talking about it. Just kidding. Oh, which Josh <laughs> spoiled next week's which Josh question? <laughs> oh, no, we'll wait a couple of weeks. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, I love our logo. It is great. And uh, yeah, I spent literally two weeks trying to kind of tweak it and just ended up saying, yep, I love it. Let's go with it. Well, let us know in the comments if it's a hit or miss. I'm not going to take it uh, personally because, well, I'm not an artist. This is the literally the best thing I've made, and I don't know if it measures up or doesn't. But there you go. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, are we talking next week? We sure are. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you then. All right. Bye. Bye.